Welcome to Optimal Health for Busy Entrepreneurs, the podcast for busy and high-performing entrepreneurs and leaders who are looking to create more energy and optimize their health while upgrading their brain and personal performance with precision. I am your host, Julian Hayes II. I've been involved with health and performance for over a decade. This podcast was created for the high performer who is unapologetically ambitious, the one who moves at a fast pace and operates with an edge, the one who wants to become superhuman. Nothing here is fluff, gimmicky, or feel good. I have little to no interest in simply helping you improve your life. I want to help transform it. By listening to this podcast, expect to have a body that feels just as good as it looks. Expect to possess a swagger and style that gives off an infectious vibe. Expect to command the stage or any boardroom you walk into with your executive presence. And lastly, expect to become your most enhanced self so you can live a limitless life. Now, let's get to the show. I'm your host, Julian Hayes II, and I have an awesome, fascinating human with me. She has a philosophy, which is to laugh, live, inspire, and has lived up to that bill. In the five minutes before I hit record, she has done all of those things already for me. So I know she's going to do it during this conversation here. But a little bit of her backstory. Um, She's a two-time Olympian, Olympian bronze medalist. At uh, the 400s in 08 in Beijing, she's an international speaker, an author, an elite performance coach, climb Mount Kilimanjaro. And so basically, she's superhuman. I'm speak- <laughs> <laughs> so I'm speaking with Miss Tasha Danvers. How's it going today? It's awesome, Julian. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. And I also, you know, listeners are not going to be able to notice, but like she was really early to this <laughs> Um, to this conversation. So either she's just a very punctual person or she was really excited. So I'm hoping it's the second one. <laughs> it's actually both. Okay, awesome. As punctual as, per, uh, as possible, you know, coming from the sports world, you know, you got to be on time. And that's it. Like I've seen people mm-hmm. actually watching their Olympic race on TV because they like mixed up their schedule. So what? To experience. But that said, I have been... Today, <laughs> so you're telling me someone has prepped really hard, mm-hmm. and then due to not being punctual, that dream mm-hmm. is gone. Yes, oh sir. my goodness! Uh, that's supposed to take them to you know some really important races, miss buses, miss all sorts of stuff. So you know, time management is super huge when it comes to elite level sports. Now I want to. Time management like this because now I, I just I I I felt that in my core right there to yeah, the work so respect. hard on it yeah to work so hard on a dream and then something not even an entry but time management stopped me from my dream oh my goodness I know it's crazy if some of my friends are listening to this I'm never going to be late again I have a few friends that <laughs> so I, I'm never going to be late again <laughs> it's what they say about you know be having opportunity right. Um, if if you're not prepared, 
opportunity is if you're not prepared for it, then you're going to miss it. And kind of being on time is also an opportunity to experience something when it's supposed to happen. So there are some opportunities in life that are time based. There are, you know, opportunities come in different shapes and form and being a person who is on time is is always a great attribute because first of all people look at it from a positive aspect like you never hear anyone say oh my gosh she's always late I love it I just love it when she's always like no <laughs> that was said in life never said that but you do hear people say you know what this guy's always on time he's always early he's the first one to arrive last one to leave people say that because it's a great attribute but but it's really about opportunity like you being there you get the best of everything you get to see what's happening from the start and then you like I said you don't miss out on things that are supposed to happen for you because there are some like I remember my nutritionist right his name is Wayne was Wayne he passed away unfortunately but he was interviewing someone for a job at his at his store and the guy came in and I kid you not he was about three minutes late and this would have been a great opportunity because my nutritionist was very very wise like if you wanted to learn anything in nutrition this is the guy right so he shows up three minutes at most late and the guy says hi you know I'm here for the interview he said yeah he said I'm here for the interview he said, yeah. He said, uh, uh, shall we get started? He's like, you're late. He's like, yeah, but it's just like three minutes. He said, so, you know, just three minutes has no idea what he missed out on. My nutrition, some of the best athletes in the world, gold medalist at the Olympics, myself and, and, and all from all over the world. Well, I won't say never because I don't know, but he missed out on a massive opportunity so <laughs> absolutely absolutely very much so um look you you got a converter over here i saw the way you got a converter over here good on you but, julian um, if we learn nothing else but, today we're on it we're on time but before we, we we talk about the president and even look into the future a little bit let's go to the little let's go to the past a little bit and yeah. i'm curious when did you when did the olympics become a possibility for you is that something you always wanted to do as a little child or or, or not how did you fall into this sport i love this question because i'm not one of those people not a shirley temples like when i was three years old i knew i wanted to do this forever like <laughs> that's not me i wasn't that guy just good at sports and then i sort of progressed over so my parents were both from jamaica came to england in uh, when they were about 10 years old my father was a hurdler until he was about 50 years old. He wanted to continue, but back then it wasn't a thing. And especially if you had Jamaican parents, like, what are you talking about? Get this hobby stuff out of your mind and go and get a job, right? And so my mom, she was good at high jump and javelin. And she also, she actually foster care when she was 14. So she never really got to flourish as an athlete either. So by the time those two put those two uh, types of DNA together. It was probably inevitable that I would be some type of sporty person. So I went through like from about 13 years old, I started getting involved in track and field. And I was 
doing what's called the pentathlon. So it's five events when you're younger, instead of doing like the heptathlon or the decathlon, they have what's called the pentathlon, five events. And I was pretty good, but the hurdling was like, cringing like oh, my, oh please like I was coming down arms were everywhere and I was quite skinny um so these like little sticks I look like a prey mantis on some kind of drugs or something like a mad prey mantis so uh one of the coaches said like let's get this girl a coach and so the coach said to me you have to specialize which I don't recommend for someone that that age looking back at it now but what happened is then I became to focus on hurdles um found myself another coach later on and I just you know it's like sports day you're good at the hurdles like I always tried to be good at the hundred but my dad kept telling me just hurdle just hurdle and I ignored him forever and then I got in hurdles and won everything I was like okay maybe he had a point right so then I you know win this you win your school thing and then you represent your school at another championship then you win that and you're like now now you represent your country. Now you represent the United Kingdom. And the next thing you know, I was representing my country at the Olympic Games. So it kind of went there. I think when I won the Olympic Games, which was Sydney, Australia, 2000, I think it was like the next step for me. Things did change when I got to those Olympics because that's when I think I realized that I could do more than what I did at those games. So those games, I was a finalist. Um first timer like a lot of the athletes make you know but it's not easy to be a first time and really perform at that kind of level so when you see that you know just know that you're seeing a really amazing things but I think that's what you know what I could do this and that's where I started to kind of wanted to take it to the next level so is it the when you, when you mentioned that when you see a first time Olympian there is it is it so difficult is it the mindset that's is that the what's the sticking point? Why is it so tough for the first time? There's a number of things, things like it's very over a championship that big. Um, for those people watching the Olympics for the first time, uh, Tokyo 2020 2021, it won't give you a true sense of what it's like because, for example, Sydney had 110 people in the stands and Beijing had 90,000 people in the stands and when you like finish I'm about to walk out to my final and the crowd is just electric and this is this is Beijing and Usain Bolt had just broken the world record in the 200 meters so this is something you'll never experience at a local level so it can be really intimidating and you know you're representing your country and you know there could be a lot of pressure and expectations like we chose you to represent our country so we expect you to to do well so there's that but then there's just also the natural nerves like when you want to do well when you want to perform well there's just some natural nerves that come with that I didn't experience that much that that much because I had been something happened to me as a as a child athlete that really shaped my future. And it's the reason why there were three of us on the team for the women's 400 meter hurdles, which was my event. And I was the only one that made the final. And I know for a fact that the reason why that was, was because of what I had learned as a child athlete. And it really changed the game for me in the way I uh, the way I approach the sport full stop period. So um, what was that? Well, when I was 14, 
my coach, she was very kind of forward thinking. She was against the grain. And I was, I was already had, so she said, you know, the natural progression, 75 meter hurdles to 80 meter hurdles. Meter hurdles. She said, you know what? Your legs are so long. I'm just, I'm not even going to go to the 80. We're going to skip right to the, straight to the hundred meter hurdles. And everyone's like, oh, you're right. And so she put me in a race senior athletes because that's who would be in that type of race the the 60 meter hurdles it was at the time and I got really really nervous before this race I mean to the point where my body was shaking so the starter's like on your marks shaking shaking set and goes I am just like looking around there like or still all panicked finally I take off short race it's an indoor race so by the time I do anything the race is over the thing that really changed saw the sport from that point forward was at the results had I just ran my had I not been nervous had I just done what I did against the junior athletes I would have come in the top two by time against these senior athletes. So I think something clicked in me at that moment that you be outside of your game because of the mental side of the sport, as opposed to the physical, like you could be a hundred percent physical, which I was, I was a hundred percent physically. I knew I could run those times, but I couldn't mentally keep it together. And I sort of started to analyze, even at that young age, I started to analyze, well, what is it? What was I thinking that made that made me go to that point where it was like, okay, I, I'm outside of my game. And I realized that I was thinking more about those senior athletes than I was thinking about what I could do. I was thinking about what I couldn't control. I was thinking about, oh, she's older than me or she's faster than me. I was thinking about all of that stuff. And that really made me realize, okay, listen, you need to be in control of the mental side because you were totally physically ready, but mentally you were not ready. And so... I started to begin to build myself into somebody who looked at everything from an empowering thoughts perspective. Like what's empowering? It's not empowering for me to show up to the Olympics and say, oh my God, it's the Olympics. My country is relying on me. What if I fail? What if I hit a hurdle? What if I don't do this right? Oh my gosh, what my parents, I might let my parents down. My parents have really supported me all these years. What if I don't, like that's not empowering. That's not empowering me. So what I started to do from that point on was I always put everything in an empowering perspective. Like, okay, okay, it's the Olympics, but what's changed? It's still one lap around the track. It's still 10 hurdles, right? So all I have to do is go out and execute everything I've been taught to do up until this point. I'd say, what's the point in doing all this training to finally get to the moment and then do something completely different, like get nervous or say things to myself that don't help me. It's even if you're doing like a presentation for business, you talk to your friends normal. If you wanted to talk to your friends about something you're passionate about, say, Julian, you're like, you want to teach someone about podcasting. If you're talking to your friends, you just say, hey, listen, so this is what I did. I first started out like this. I got set up. I got the right equipment. Da, 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 da. Now, someone says presentation to 2000 people in a seminar. And all of a sudden we start talking ourselves into a mental oblivion of negativity. Just talk to them. 
the same way you talk to your friend. Like that's where I went. And so by the time I got to the Olympics, I literally, I, I kid you not, I was like, hey guys, what's the big idea? You know, we're just going to run a little. We're going to do what we do. You know, like <laughs> just so laid back. And I could see the difference between me and my compadres. I could, you know, the other athletes, they were like broken, like literally when they walked out onto that track for the heats, they were already defeated mentally. Um, And so it made a huge difference um, really training myself without even realizing I was training myself to always operate from an empowered perspective. Like this, we have to be mindful that the things that we say to ourselves are the kind of things we would want to say to our best friend because we need to be our own best friend because we have enough attack. We have enough issues coming from the outside world as it is. So we need to be our own best friend. Are you going to say to your best friend, why are you always messing up? Why are you always, I mean, I know some people that might, but you know, for the most part, people are like, they're not coming from that perspective. They're supportive. That's the type of mindset. And it changed. It really made my career phenomenal because I could operate without of course I would still get nervous sometimes but it wasn't to the point where it sabotaged what I was able to do physically I feel like that that's that is a missing link in athletics at at that age Uh, because I remember myself personally playing basketball and I would have I would have games where I go like four for 16 from the field four for 17 and then like I'm like below like 60% from the free throw line. I'm just like, man, Julian, you suck. Like, what are you doing, dude? Like you can shoot. (laughs) Next thing I know, I'm in a slump now. I have consecutive games now where I'm just shooting a bunch of bricks now. And and it's not, I'm not doing anything different, but it's that inner chatter that's going on. And this is a, even for, you know, listeners out there right now, it's a collection of listeners who, or they're working within corporate. There's an inner chatter that's really a lot of times we are only hampered by the thoughts we tell ourselves and our potential. Yeah. And I think for me, I had to, that was one of the last pieces to put together. And sometimes I still have to remember that. And um, because, you know, you could just study, 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 read books, read books, read books, uh, listen to podcasts, podcasts, podcasts. And then you don't take think on it because you keep telling yourself you're not ready when you're really just putting this thing on a pedestal. Yeah. 100%, you know, because at the end of the day, we have to implement this stuff, right? There is, you know, nothing happens until you happen. Nothing happens until you take action. So, you know, like you said, I've, I've been definitely uh, a person who's done that as like a serial learner and like application nil. (laughs) Nil. (laughs) Because I was always, like you said, thinking, but at some point we have to put that stuff down and we have to actually implement what we're learning. And part of that continuously being aware, self-aware of what we are is either enhancing or hindering. Because really that's at the center of everything is us. At the center of everything is our mindset. At the center of everything is our thinking. We often are trained as we grow up to feel like it's the outside world that is making a difference to how, whether we succeed or not. You know, well, if boss gives you, you know, if if your boss gives you a, a, a raise, 
you know, then you'll be okay. Or if your coach puts you in the game, then fine. You know, we're always relying on the outside world to, to, but we can actually create these realities through the way we think, because the way we think affects the way we behave and the way we behave then affects the way people see us on the outside. It's not the other way around. It starts with us first, but we've got to implement it. We've got to train our minds the same effort we would if we were doing physical training, right? The same effort you put into becoming a great entrepreneur, you have to put that type of effort into the mental side of your business, you know, and, and I mean things like visualizing, visualizing how you want your business to look, visualizing how you feel. Um, Jack Canfield is a very big personal development guru. He's the author of uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul. He always, he always, in everything he does, he talks about acting as if, right? Acting as if before the event happens, you act as if you're already everything you aspire to be and to the point where they would have parties. And I think I remember him saying Mariah Carey was at one of these parties before she became famous and she came glammed up. Everyone claimed glammed up or however, you know, authors came with book covers and all these people became who who they had aspired to be. Dr. Joe Dispenza, the author of um, Breaking the Habit of Becoming Yourself. He also talks about being before, like experiencing the experience beforehand. And this is a huge, hugely active success. Everyone's always involved in the doing part, the physical, and too many people are not focused on the mental part. And the action, what you aspire to be, because they don't know the power of it. It's extremely powerful. It's huge. Yeah. And I'm sure that thought process and that the power of the mind was really important because I, I was curious when I was reading up a little bit on you is that you had a break because Sydney was in 2000, Beijing was in 2008. Yeah. Typically with Olympians, there's a short period of time that you compete and generally you don't take breaks in between but i saw that you got pregnant in around 2004 right yeah absolutely and, <laughs> and, yeah and you know that's your sporting prime time so i guess the first question there is like how is that like thinking like balancing being pregnant with still having these athletic aspirations My son, Jaden, was not planned. Um, so was coming along. It was like a real luck. And it was it was a challenging time because on one hand, gosh, I'm not going to be able to do what I plan to do. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have a baby, <laughs> you know. So it was a really, really difficult time. But I think 
there were a couple of things that inspired me mentally to keep pushing. Number one, I did think about the fact that, you know, we live in a world where information is readily available. Like you can look up pictures from 20 years ago and statements from 20 years ago can come back to haunt people or to bless people. But I always knew that there was a possibility that my son could look back and see what was going on at the time when he was being born. And I didn't want him to think that I quit on my dreams because of him, because of him being born. And so that was one reason why I said, you know, I have to push forward with this. I think the other reason was the the response to me being pregnant you know I'm a married woman yes I'm in sport but it was like you know what's wrong with her (laughs) right in fact one of the people that was were interviewed for one of the British press said you know I think this is an indication of how Tasha Danvers really feels about the sport you know and I thought how dare you like at this point I've been in the sport for many many years and so I've this wasn't a planned situation and you're questioning my loyalty to the sport when I have blood, sweat and tears this, this since I was a kid. And so I found that like really um, that put, put up that article. Um, some of the people, some of the things that people have said were so bad, he couldn't print them. And for someone. A big deal, because the British press is not much. They don't they like that kind of stuff, you know, controversial stuff. So I think those pushed me to a whole new mental level and so I just attacked this comeback with everything I had like I was still training kicked out of cycling class and like you ain't having no babies up in here like you're gonna have to find some other workouts to do like that's how I that's how um was with my training which was good because I think it's the between Having my son and actually arriving at the 2008 Olympics game, Olympic Games was probably the hardest I've ever trained in my life. You know, the first day back, my son, I went out to the track. It was about four months after having him. And I did one lap around the track. Like, in comparison to what I normally do, that is not It's just like barely, barely even a portion of the warm-up. And I was exhausted. And I said, you know, I said in that moment, I had to stop after I ran that lap. And I, Tasha, you need to be sure that this is what you want to do. If this is what you want to do, you need to know now that this is going to be one of the hardest things you've ever done in your life. So if you ain't going to be ready to do work harder than you have ever worked in your life, just just stop this right now. And then I just made a decision at that moment that I was going to do whatever it took reason <laughs> to me there's no such thing as anything it takes because then it could start getting into crazy stuff but anything it takes within positive reason mm. yeah and I, I i can imagine like when you cross that finish line how like good it felt and validating it felt because i, I i'm yeah. sure it's so many because i always think about myself of you know i have one of the i have a bunch of stickers on my mirror and one of the things is like how's it going to feel when you accomplish your dreams Right, and so I, I try to just like soak in that feeling, and I'm sure at that moment, like like the pride and the joy that you had, because I'm sure a lot of people are like, 
probably counting you out. Like nobody's done. Like you can't do this, or I don't think she's going to do that, or everything. Because I read that didn't you have injuries that year also a little bit? Listen, Julian, this was like the worst and the best year of my life. And count me out is an understatement. I think I know for a fact that within the first hour of them announcing who was on the Olympic team for Great Britain, the head coach for the team got forty-two texts asking why is Tasha Danvers on the team. So, you know, yeah, that's how bad it was. So for me to then first make it out of the heats, like the first round, nobody expected me to make it out of the heat. So, and I won my heat. So I was feeling really energized. And at that point, I really didn't know where I stood um, with my performance because I hadn't been able to race as much as I wanted to. I knew I was physically fit, but I didn't know if it was going to trans into the track because it's a very technical event. If you're not, it's hard to do it. Um, and I won my heat. And after that, I said, this is it. Because partly I, when when they selected the team, there was a choice between me and another girl and they couldn't take us both. So when I didn't win the national trials, I was very worried that, that option because she was running well that year and I wasn't. And they actually did end up picking me and they picked me because they believed in my ability to perform at a high level, no matter what was going on. So um I was I was going to pull it out the bag and they were relying on that as opposed to say like a new that they didn't know how she would do she was doing well now but how would she do in this environment and so they could trust my past which is again like what we talked about like being able to to maximize on opportunities I wasn't doing well in that moment but because I had always been on time showed up performed at my best those things were now helping me in this moment when I needed it I could pull those coins out of the bank I deposit into the bank and now I could cash some of them out so they and once they put me on the team, like that started to really connect everything that I had been doing mentally to believe that this was going to happen. I was like, okay, it's on. Something special is about to happen, right? Because for me, that flipped the switch. So once I got out there and it physically manifested into a great first round, oh man. And in fact, when I got through that final and I placed third in the world, the that I, I spoke to some people at the track that I had been training at at the time. They said, you know what? When our girl, Christine, won gold, because we had a, a, a girl that won gold in the 400 meters, you know, we were cheering. We were excited. He said, but when you crossed the line in third place, the roof went off the place because they knew the journey and people can relate to having to struggle to get to where you need to get to. Like, we look at Richard Branson living on his own island. He's had to struggle to get there. It all looks nice now, but they've had to struggle to get to, to that. And people can connect and relate to that. So it was a real struggle. Definitely, Definitely worth it. it. Like if you ever see my reaction once I crossed the, not once I crossed the line, because I wasn't sure, but on my name in lights, you'll know that it was like, it was the best feeling. I'm, I'm going to go back and find it. But, um, <laughs> but, but yeah, you know, that's the stuff we don't see behind the scenes, you know, whether it's, whether it's training for Olympics, whether it's, it's business, you know, no, whether it's even parenting, you don't yeah. see, you don't see a lot of the ugly behind the scenes. And yeah. so, uh, you know, that, it, yeah, it's, it's, um, I can just lose words at, and thoughts at times just thinking about different stories I've heard of people's struggles. Like there's been people where they've been in food lines, food banks and stuff, 
being yep. foreclosure. And yep. they thought about like, how's it going to feel when they accomplish their dreams and everything. Yep. And that's what's propelled them. Even when everyone around them doesn't, was, believe. doesn't believe at all. Yeah. And then just how good it feels. And no matter how many times you talk to them and you bring it up, their face lights up each time. Yeah. Each and every time. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. So, um, I guess, what do you think, um, people, what do you think one of the, are some of the, let's say one to two common misnomers of Olympic athletes in general and training for the Olympics? Um, I think, you know, in terms of people, the, people's out, outside perspective of what it takes. Yeah. You know, I think people think that they're superhuman, you know, like I'll talk about stuff and people will say, oh, well, that's because you're an athlete. No, it's because athletes do particular things. It's not an athlete because of this. It, I'm an athlete. I'm able to be a good athlete. And so I think it's that mindset that we're superhuman and all this stuff comes easy uh, to us than anyone else. No, it's just as hard for us as it is for, you know, someone who's trying to get their business off the ground or trying to, you know, turn their company into a, a Fortune 500 company or for someone who has zero experience presenting and now has to present around the country. It's it's difficult. It takes work. I mean, literally, there's no getting around work. <laughs> like, what you're involved in, sports, fitness, business, parenting, it's work. Right. And so it's just manage that work. Um, those are some of the things I think um, are, are difficult. I think some of the challenges that athletes have is 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 what kind of work to do. Finding you know, these things, it's like a marriage when you're uh, being so you finding the right person to match you because you could have the best coach in the world, but they're not necessarily the best coach for you. It's like you could have the best job, like, oh, my gosh, I just got this amazing job. I'm getting paid what I want to pay. But you you get in there about a week. This is actually sucks. Right? <laughs> you know, you see it a lot when people go from man different managerial levels. They're like, OK, mm -hmm. yeah, I just I just want to be a supervisor. And as they get to supervisor level and they're like, oh, my gosh, I just want to go back to being a regular employee because that was what I love. There's like nothing wrong with being a regular employee. It's just we have this idea that we're always supposed to go up, up, up. But what they loved about the job was the 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 task that they were doing as an employee. They don't like the task that a su su supervisor wants to do. So so it's just like really knowing what you need to create your particular dream. And that has to be in alignment with what's in your spirit and not in your heart, not what society says or your parents say or whatever. Like you need to check in with you to determine what that path should look like. So what's your current what's your current dreams and, and things you're working toward now? Well, I have a business that I'm working on, an online business that I'm working on, um, and I want to fund, use that business to fund other projects. So one of the things that I'm working on is I I've, I started a nonprofit called Women Who Need a Way. That's something that I really want to, to build on. So hopefully the business that I'm starting, you know, those proceeds to go to that. Um, I also want to put out you know, I have really more dynamic courses that really can get people tangible results. So again, the business that I'm building will help to fund that kind of stuff. So I think that's really elevating and, you know, live, laugh and inspire, <laughs> laugh, live and inspire, like anything <laughs> in that realm. That's where 
So that's, you know, those are some of the, the outside projects when people come to me for fitness and things like that. Again, that's still under that umbrella of like, how can I help you take you to the next level? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think one of those is a, is it like a workout platform, like a virtual PT service yeah. that you're kind of doing do, that you're doing now. And I'm, um, it's you know it's about this from a friend called Barbara Bradelski. She, I met her because I was doing projects with and when Tony Horn was with, um, he's on his own now, but he's with a different company before. And so I met her through that and she's like super wise. So at this time of the year, at the, in, in this particular year, I get a lot of offers. Like, can you do this? Can you do that? It's Olympic. So people want anyone who's an Olympian to, to be involved in what they got going on. When she came to me with, with uh, workout, I was like, okay, let me listen because you know who she is. But to really describe it I was just like wow this is something that really takes to the next level um with the people have really had to shift gears in terms of I used to go to the gym all the time and then it just came a time where how am I how are we going to get this done without having our own equipment at the house and all that so we had to get stuff so so this this really allows people to to train the way they were training before. So easy, so easy. So when I saw all the little bells and whistles and how well thought out it was, like it's literally so thought out. Like I've not seen, and I had tried to do a lot of personal training on Zoom and things like that. And I'm I'm a music person, so I like to have the music going and I I literally would have to set up a Sony studio, you know, with <laughs> just, just to get the, you know, the music's going and the beats like they're hearing the beat after I've done the movement. And it, what I was doing is very rhythmical. So, you know, very to the beat. So kind of like Zumba. So you imagine you're doing Zumba and the instructor's dance is like going off a different. So that's, that's what it was like, but they're setting up all of those little things, you know, even things as simple as having a countdown timer on the screen, mm-hmm. you know, like it seems so simple, but like and the athletes to actually be able to screen, but also not because they're watching a YouTube video, but because they have someone right there inspiring them to me, like it was coming and everything that they already had in place. Perfect, perfect platform for both the trainer and the trainee, like for both the person training those who, and those who need, those who are looking for trainers. So I just said, yeah, yeah. Just put my name in the hat. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, cause I'm sure when you do that, um, when you train like that, that way, you know, you still have that human connection and, yeah. Yeah. and that's so critical. 100% people are and I don't think a lot of people realize how important human connection was until we didn't have it you know the old saying you never know what you've got till it's gone and yes you you might not be face to face but but doing it alone as opposed to doing it with a trained see you who can give you feedback who can inspire you who can continue to encourage you is super important um, my son has been right and so I came over to like sit down with him and I said to him how do you feel about the tutor I think I can do it on my own if you just come and sit with me while I'm doing 
And I said, it's the accountability. It's not that he can't do the work. It's the accountability. He wants someone there. And I can get that. It's not laziness. It's human nature. Like our brains are wired for the 2,000-year-old individual life. Years ago, we needed our brain to always be in survival mode, right? And so what our brain does is something as a threat. It just gives you any reason not to do it, right? So it could be a workout, for example, right? <laughs> you, know, you know, you don't need to do that workout. Those workouts are very painful. You know, it's much better if you just sit down. You're so tired. Just sit down, watch your TV show, have a nice warm coffee, get your black, you know? And so that accountability piece, even myself, I'm training for the 2000 Olympic Games. I have to, sorry, 2008 Olympic Games, the games of my life, right? I go to the track. My coach is not there because he's in another country. Nobody else is on the track. As I start to think about the workout, I'm like, okay, you know, I was supposed to do five 300s today. I'll just do three 300s, you know, track. Maybe I'll just warm up today, stretch a little bit. And I've got my bag on my back. I'm on my way home. Me training for the Olympics. So if someone training for the Olympics can feel, you know, uninspired some days, then the average person just working out to stay in shape definitely needs that accountability. And that's when I really realized how important it is if you want to be successful. If there is something that you truly want to achieve, you got to find accountability, whether it's a buddy. It can't be someone who's just going to be like, oh, it's okay. You just get it next time. You need someone who's really going to keep you on task. And I think that's one of the great things about having a platform like this is like you set up. Do you just, this is the schedule. <laughs> Your session is at this time, you know, and it makes a big difference for people. Consistent, and consistency is the key with everything. Yeah. What do you think are some of the common pitfalls that you've, that you've seen with people and, and their goals? What, what, what do you think? Are well, some definitely ones? Accountability. Sometimes people don't want to have it. Because they are, number one, don't want to be held accountable. Like they don't want anyone to be able to know that they're not doing it. But number two, they're scared to share their dreams with someone. They're scared to like be open. Hey, you know, I want to lose weight. They just kind of want to secretly do their goals because just in case anyone to know. Um, and then it isn't peace being, being consistent because people see sometimes like they try to look at the bigger picture rather than just looking at the smaller pieces. So like, Oh my gosh, I'm never going to be able to lose 50 pounds. Right. Don't worry about 50 pounds. Worry about what you can do today. That might drop you half a pound less than that because it's the accumulation of those little pounds that equals to the, the 50 pounds. It's the same with when I was climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, there was a point where I looked up, and I said, oh, my gosh, instantly my brain went, oh, my God, you're never going to make it. You're never going to make it as exhausted as you are right now. There's no way you can make it to the top. So that's my brain going into survival. Flip it to right now. Like I call it win. And I've heard, I can't remember where I first heard it, but win. What's important now? W.I. important now. So when you keep going back to the, the moment perspective, it allows you to make those small steps that lead to the biggest steps. So when I was climbing that mountain, instead of looking up, I said, well, I can't deal with that whole picture. Important now. What's important now is like, can I take one more step? Mm-hmm. Okay. Right leg took one more step. I said, hey, left leg, what's up? You down? We're going to do this? Left leg. 
took one more step, right? So I was, and I literally one stepped my way to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro that last day. And it's the same with your goals. Like, like don't sit there talking yourself out of it because it's 50 pounds. So ask what's important now. Okay, you know what? What's important now is that I just drink lots of water, like my my coach told me. That I get on that session, like I scheduled. That's really the type of mindset. So it's really a mindset thing and a consistency thing, and definitely an accountability thing. Those are, I think, major pieces that people just think, okay, I just need to start training and get all excited, but they don't put those things in place that allow the foundation to be stable enough for it to be maintained long term. Yeah, I can I can totally relate to that. When when you have huge goals, you just want to you kind of just want to take one giant leap and yes, accomplish it for mankind. <laughs> yeah, and then when you don't take that leap, the next day you're just like frustrated because you right. still don't have it. But the more you're frustrated, the more you don't do anything. Hello. And so so it's just like one giant feedback thing when that that whole time that you're frustrated about the thing if you actually just taken some kind of steps toward it you probably would you you would be a lot closer to the goal than you are right now by just constantly exactly Exactly. what you don't have yeah yeah and that's what i was saying about the empire empower yeah like because once you catch yourself doing it oh god there's no way i can do 50 pounds or why didn't i do the workout today you know what? Like that's going nowhere. Mm-hmm. Okay. Listen, I didn't do the work I was supposed to do today. What could I do? What can I mm-hmm. do? Right. That's the empowering mindset. Okay. And what could I just kind of add to that? So it's like constantly training yourself to readdress some of the things that you're saying to yourself. Yeah. That's one of the, you know, I, people are always surprised by this when they're asking about what are typical client struggles that you encounter when I'm advising working with clients. And it's really, um, it's not a lot of times nutritional things or anything like that. Like it's really their self-talk, like you're talking about little habit. There's a lot of what I call invisible influencers, things that really shape, shape your behavior and shape your action that you don't even realize. Like a lot of times, a lot of times the, the, the reason why we may be, I don't know, grabbing some junk food or maybe not even working out is because our environment, the way it's set up it's set up for comfort. It's set up to not have those things trigger us to go do those actions that we know we need to do. Cause I'm the same way. So I'm near the end of the training for the marathon and you know, I'm like, well, it says 16 miles today, you know, it's a, it's a long, slow run anyway. So what, I mean, what benefit am I really getting? I'll just stop stop at 12. You know, I've got most of the benefit anyway. I want to keep my body refreshed and everything. No one's out here that no survival yeah. mode. Yeah. So that's, it's, yeah, that's your I, brain. I think, I, I think that's one of the biggest separating factors. And I'm still, like I said, I'm not perfect by any means of, and this is why, once again, like you mentioned, the accountability is just because yeah. when you're, when you're left to your own devices, I don't care how in shape you no. are. I don't care no. who you are. A lot of times you're not going to do it. You know, I don't care how motivated you are, how in shape you are, how anything you are. We all have those days where we're not. It's human nature. And the thing is, when you when you do it once, it starts to become easier and easier. But I guarantee if you had a coach standing at the end of that 16 mile, like, hey, I'm going to be waiting at the end of the 16 miles for you to come through. You would finish that 16 miles. 
Yeah. Like you wouldn't be thinking, oh, I'll stop at 12 because you know your coach is waiting for you. You're not going to call him and say, hey, you know, I've just decided to stop at 12. Like he came out. <laughs> so. Yeah. You know, so that's why, like I said, early, like later this evening, I, I got to make a call to like a friend or two to keep me accountable because I got this, this project I need to start. Right, right. And, and that, that is why, that's another reason why I love this platform because it's built in. Like if I had tried to train for the Olympics on my own, like anything that I want to do and I want it to be successful, I have a coach in every area of my life, whether it's business, whether it's uh, fitness. You know, I, I'm an Olympian. I have an Olympic medal, but I have someone coaching me for fitness because I know just like any other human being, if I don't have my coach, I probably ain't going to do it. Right? Yeah. So it's the same for people. And that's why I love the platform because also like they're going to match you to the right person for you. You know, sometimes your friend may have a coach that, but that's not necessarily what's working for you. So they can match on every level. What kind of personality do you want? What kind of workouts do you want? And it just cuts out all the guesswork, especially for the client, for the, the trainee, for them. Extra stuff out that makes it frustrating in someone that you can really work with. And they're vetting everybody for you. So, you know, you don't have to wonder, oh, well, is this the right coach for me? Is this the right person that they're going to, look at all the they're going to vet all these people before they even become trainers on the platform and then they're going to vet them specifically for your needs so that for me is huge um especially for the person looking for a training but having the right coach in your life what effectively uh, a trainer is having that right coach is is really the difference between i feel is the difference between being successful and not being successful i've seen so many athletes think you know I don't need no coach. I got, I got this. I've been, I've been doing this sport for so many years. And then they go and they dump their coach and they're just like, and they suddenly realize how influential that coach was in their life. So it, it's that accountability, accountability piece is so, so, so important. Very much so. Very much so. And so I, I guess I, I guess I got to ask this because I'm sure people are always curious to hear this stuff. So how does a, an Olympian train and eat right now? <laughs> well, I say not like I did. I'm just going to be 100. I definitely not as strict as I used to be. Um, but now, you know, it's just really that I like it for the aesthetics, right? I like mm-hmm. to good i'm not getting any younger i'll be 44 this year and so you know for me it's like important to stay healthy to to look good i i like to look good you know some people may right so i like to look good and so you know i usually because i hate to cook i usually have um some fresh vegetable meals delivered from a um that really helps me stay on track again it's kind of like having accountability like i have something in place that is going to make sure and then when i look at the food sitting there and i could have another option like you're really gonna waste that food (laughs) so it's like the food is like my coach like i'm over here you gotta eat so you know it's um you know and this like even with with the platform this is the kind of stuff that your coach can help you with and that you don't have to guess and you know you can put all this stuff in play as part of your program so for me I am uh, making sure I stay 
as healthy as I can for as long as I can. I do less running than I used to, but I definitely like I'm actually thinking about competing next year just like for the fun of it because I do miss the competition side of it. When I first retired, I just I was ready to never see track and field again. But now that I'm sort of like, what is it now? I retired in 2012. Now that I'm almost 10 years removed, I'm like, okay, we can, we can, we can be friends again. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think it's, it's hard to, it's hard to, you know, once, once an athlete, once an athlete and a competitive athlete, always a competitive athlete. So yeah, it, life doesn't feel right unless you're competing at something most likely. Right. For so, me, definitely. Yeah. So I totally get that. So one of the last questions I like to ask here is, um, so pretend you got a bottle of wine or uh, juice like like you had before the um, the conversation, which course you want. It's a round table and it's a nice group discussion you're going to have. And there's three tables there. What three people in the course of history would you invite to sit down with you for a discussion? And it has to inc- it has to exclude family, and they can be dead or alive. Okay, I think I've asked it to people, but I don't remember answering myself. Um, Richard Branson <laughs> okay. is definitely. I've always admired his tenacity. Um, I just have always been in awe of the fact that he was basically told he was stupid, dyslexic, and they didn't understand dyslexia at that time. He lives on an island, which he bought. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, to see that entrepreneurial story is amazing. Um, I remember reading that he had given out the telephone number for a phone box and was pretending that he had an office and he'd all day waiting for business calls to come in and he answered the phone. So, like, just that tenacity, just... And that, um, you know, seeing someone who just know for an answer, that is somebody I, w- I would want to meet. Um, I think I'd also like to meet Oprah. Mm-hmm. Everybody, everybody, everybody amazing has met Oprah. And I'd love to meet her in person and just so many amazing people. I'd love to hear more about what she learned and, you know, just the spiritual aspect of, of life as well and everything that, the kinds of people that she has now on the show are the kind of people that I, I can resonate with. And then for my third, I had someone in mind and it went out of my head. <laughs> so <laughs> who would I have for my third person? Um, oh man, this is a tough choice. Like Napoleon Hill, Jack Canfield, Dr. Joe Dispenza, who would I have for my third? You know, I'm not sure. Maybe you could come, Julian. I'll be glad. I'll be glad to. I'll be I could learn I'll, more about you. I'll be glad to. I'll be glad to. Um, I'll love to talk more. Um, I, I, I had a lifetime of, I was a mute for a lot of my life, and now I can talk all the time. I love to hear the sound of my voice. I will be awesome. glad to join you. So you, me, Richard Branson, and Oprah can have a good chin wag. Absolutely. We're going to laugh, live, and we're we're going to inspire. Yes, sir. So, um, but without further, this was an awesome conversation. Where could um, listeners and everyone, where, where would you like for them to go to keep up with you and everything? 
Yeah, absolutely. My if people want to, I have all my social media in one spot, so you can pick whichever one you want to follow me on. But if you go to www.tasha tasha three six zero dot com, um, then I can uh, you can follow me if you're interested in personal training. Jump on the workout platform. Um, it takes the guesswork out. It, it it's an amazing platform. Uh, you'll get you'll get the right coach for you it's at a really affordable price by the way <laughs> like it's inexpensive so so you know for that for that definitely check out the workout workout platform for me um it's on tasha360.com awesome to hear this was an awesome conversation thank you so much for uh joining me on this conversation and for listeners out there stay awesome be limitless punctual and go be superhuman. Peace. <laughs>